Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the blatant hate and trolls. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get We talk a lot on this podcast about content moderation and the broader topic of trust and safety. While many of the big internet websites, I think, still get a lot of grief for it, and people insist that they, that you know, some of those platforms don't actually care at all about this, the trust and safety field has become a really important and also, I think, really fascinating space. Uh, the people who work in trust and safety really do care deeply about making websites both safe and trusted. Uh, and it's both an incredibly difficult and I think largely misunderstood field. Uh, one of the most thoughtful people I know in the trust and safety space is Alex Fierst, who ran trust and safety at Medium for many years and is now working on a blockchain-related trust and safety effort uh, and who has been instrumental in helping both better educate ed, yeah, better educate people about trust and safety uh, and uh, to to help to professionalize the entire field of trust and safety. That includes serving as an advisor to the Trust and Safety Professional Association that we talked about last year on the podcast, and more recently in helping to put together the Digital Trust and Safety Partnership. Uh, Alex has actually been on the podcast before, uh, though in a very different role, almost four years ago when we did our TechDirt 20th anniversary podcast, we realized that it would help to have someone else interview me and Dennis about the early years of TechDirt. And I knew that Alex was both a thoughtful interviewer and an early part of the TechDirt community. So he uh, got the job of interviewing us, which was fun. But now we finally get to have Alex on as a guest rather than the interviewer. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Cool. So let's talk about trust and safety. Uh, so to me, I, I think it's one of the most misunderstood aspects of how internet companies operate. So can we just start out by explaining, you know, what is trust and safety? Yeah. So, so I think, I think rather than describe it, I think I can give like a very brief, what I think of as like a natural history of it, which is sure. you have, you know, you have a platform or an internet company and um, you know, you're, you're making your product and you're trying to garden your community and, and keep everyone happy and, and have them enjoy it. And then eventually problems start to come in, you know, through your email address. And this is probably as true today as it is 15 years ago. And, you know, and those problems, you know, they range from like, I don't know how to log in or like, I don't like your font to very serious human messy things like, you know, I'm being, I'm being abused or harassed or this is not true or, you know, this is a you know, this is a character assassination campaign against me or whatever. And so, you know, those just sort of come in to the company as like messy reality and the and sort of like the human implications and the human impact of the product and the platform. And so I think inevitably the folks who are tasked with dealing with, with problems self-sort or are sorted into like the people who are more interested in dealing with like, I don't know how to log in versus the people who are drawn sort of by temperament and you know by 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 <laughs> by their personal makeup into wanting to solve these messier human problems and they're often sometimes they're 
um, you know, former lawyers or lawyers who are interested in like rule sets. Sometimes they're like philosophy majors who are interested in like struggling with like hard existential questions and like, or like more justice minded or helper minded people that like really want to help the people who are struggling or being, you know, being victimized by some, some aspect of the site. And so that to me is like the seed of what in, in various forms becomes trust and safety at different companies, which is like, how do we solve these problems around the risk to humans, um, you know, fr from the site or, or from the product and, and, you know, they sort of work in concentric rings because you have sort of like harms or risks to users, harms or risks to non-users, you know, harms mm -hmm. or risks to, um, you know, other other groups that are un not involved with the platform. And then I think more recently we've seen that there's like even even the, the outermost concentric rings are like harms to society, harms to democracy, <laughs> harms to abstract concepts like democracy right. um, and human rights harms. And so all of those different impacts, I think, are essentially what the trust and safety team deals with in a very practical way because they have to sort of make daily decisions about what to do. Yeah, I think that was that was great. And, you know, it's, it always amazes me when we see, especially newer platforms show up and insist that they don't need to do anything, <laughs> that, you know, there's, there's nothing, that they're taking a hands-off approach. That's my favorite phrase is, well, we're just taking a hands-off approach. It's up to, it's up to everybody to decide for themselves or whatever. Um, I, I think that reality pretty quickly smacks you in the face on that thing. <laughs> and, sure. and so like you were saying, you know, that, that you suddenly start getting complaints from people, you know, generally over email or whatever, talking about different things that are happening and suddenly you have decisions to make. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so this, this is always like, I think of it as like gardening. If you're just like, I will take a laissez-faire approach and do nothing. And then who knows what happens? And right. I think other gardeners will be like, weeds will happen. <laughs> right. Like there's a very, predict there's a relatively predictable set of things that will happen if you, if you, if you purport to do nothing. Right. Right. And then I think the second aspect of that, which is, which is, I think more nuanced and, and has always interested me about this is that, um, I think you, if you, if you take that approach of like, we will not intervene, quote unquote, intervene, like mm -hmm. you're buying into like what I started calling like the naturalistic fallacy of content moderation, that there is a natural state of the internet mm -hmm. because you have this like highly constrained, highly artificial set of incentives and mechanisms and levers and mediated experiences, right? You, you like you're in, you know, the matrix. And so the notion that like you're breathing air or that you're in a natural environment where people can act naturally is I think a little bit itself kind of a fallacy, right? Because you have to sort of own the fact that you built, you built a product or you built an environment that has incentives and it has, you know, nudges and it has interactions. And so it, it's never, it's never quote, it's never natural. It's always a thing that you, that is constructed and built. And so to say that you're going to build like a highly mediated, constructed computer environment, and then say, I'm not going to intervene. I think is itself sort of potentially like a misunderstanding or a misframing of your own relationship to the product that you are like built and evolving and supporting. Does, does that make sense? Because it's really yeah. like, there's, there's no, this is sort of like that there's no neutral on a moving train, right? You're, <laughs> right. you're constantly doing, you're doing stuff and you may, you, you may believe that what is happening is natural, or you may be like right. mystifying others to say, Oh, I'm not intervening. What's happening is natural. But, but actually like those things are like, the more or less predictable results of a whole number of choices that you made. Right, right. I mean, sort of a, a related thing that that I've used as an example frequently enough is like, you know, any platform that says it's going to do no no moderation, you know, no trust and safety work whatsoever, very quickly fills up with spam. 
And then people are always like, well, spam, of course you get rid of spam. And it's like, okay, well then you understand the need for some trust and safety and, and figuring out like what is and what is not allowed on your platform. So, yeah. And, and it's interesting. There's something about the, the concept or the way that like different minds, um, I guess, perceive it, that it's, it's rare to hear like a, like a free speech defensive spam. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, I feel like you don't often hear people say like, we should have no spam filters because you know, right. that you're, that's like a, that's a deep speech harm. And like, obviously this is like politicized and it's due to a lot of things, but I think, I do think there's something about certain, like you say, speech scenarios that don't trigger for most people, some of our intuitions around, you know, around censorship and around free speech. I think my, my favorite example of this is like the subreddit um, where people just write like kitty or like post pictures of cats. <laughs> And like, and if you do anything other than those two things, you get kicked off because that's right. the rules. And so it's like a very, very, very limited rule set. But it's like, well, everybody knows the rules and they're super clear. And there's a million <laughs> other subreddits you can go to to do other things. And so whatever it is that people experience when they fail to post <laughs> do one of those two things, it's it doesn't feel like a like a speech a free speech harm, even though maybe maybe it you know is analogous to other things. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that gets to, to, you know, one of the larger arguments that people talk about, which is, you know, like in that case, there are many, many other places to, to right. do your non non cat related speech. Right. Um, and, and so like, you know, some of the concerns, I think, to me, to some extent, uh, you know, a lot of the concerns around content moderation, trust and safety, are often sort of, you know, hidden concerns about about competition, um, that it just play out in the the basically saying this large platform that I really want to be able to continue to speak on, you know, doesn't like the way I'm speaking. And therefore, it's a content moderation problem. And really, what they're trying to say is I, I feel like there isn't a, a legitimate competitor to this platform that allows me to say what I want to say. Yeah. And I think and I think it's now the, the current discussion is in like the competition antitrust context, because the providers tend to be commercial. Right. I think to me, I think the broader topic is really just about like variety yeah. and design principles around variety in nature. And like, I think about like, if you're doing good urban planning, you have like different spaces where different groups can do things and like uh -huh. people can be alone, people can be in small groups and like, and you have like proportionality built into the way that you organize your, your social space. And so I think part of the, the beauty of Reddit um, is that at least in terms of the way that the subreddits and the mods and other stuff work, it sort of like replicates that proportionality of like lots of different spaces and contexts to different, different things, as opposed to like maybe, maybe something like Twitter where you, which is like beautiful in other ways, but sort of has everybody in groups that can morph at any moment into other contexts. Mm. Um, and so just the way that the proportionality of it works is that, you, you are in one context and then you, your speech can be put in a different context without you, you know, approving it or wanting it to be. And that's part of where a lot of the like best and also worst collisions, I guess, um, happen. But, but, but I think all this comes out of like, to, to return to the thing I was saying before that, like when you're making these environments, you can, you can try to mimic some of the laws of the natural world, or you can like consciously repeal them. Um, but you're, but you're, have a you have a sort of palette of doing both of like you can try to create like proportionality and try to create different spaces and contexts that will like harness human instincts around social norms or you can sort of like repeal some of these laws around like how loud your voice is or how many people you can contact how quickly to try to achieve other effects but then you often 
like create a lot of unintended other effects <laughs> because you've like repealed the laws of the natural world um, right. in your in your space and then other weird things happen yeah yeah it's it's interesting um you know in in talking about trust and safety i mean you sort of opened up with this description of like how it evolves in a generalized sense for for a you know a platform discovering this space but do you want to talk a little bit also just about how the space itself has evolved over time because i think that i think that your original description is right but in many cases that's involved you know the companies now that that people are talking about themselves sort of discovering these these changes and and different viewpoints over time so you know yeah. how has the the concept of trust and safety changed over the last you know decade and a half two decades or so yeah, yeah, to totally. So I think, and I think early, especially early on, and, and, and the recent conversation has, I think, really focused around enforcement, which sort of makes sense when you think mm -hmm. about, like, what are the interventions you, you can make into, you know, like a content platform. And so there's like, does it, you know, take it down or leave it up, ban this account, don't ban this account, suspend it, put up a, you know, put up a label. And so I think in early days, it was sort of like you would have things and somebody would say, like, this must come down. Right. And I, and I feel like the like the originary, like the 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 first example of this is always like, you know, Stratton which is like, take this down, leave this up. If you take it down, one person's going to be mad at you. If you right. leave it up, the other person's going to be mad at you. And I actually feel like what I what I love about that moderator's dilemma sort of framing in its like simplest like um, game theory form is that the outcome is 100% of the time people are mad at you. Right. Yes. And, I, and I feel like that's very important for people to understand about content moderation, yes. which, which is that you have to make a decision and at least at least part of the world is going to be mad at you for it. Um, yeah. And, you know, and so and so CDA230 might remove the lawsuit aspect of it, but it doesn't, you know, like remove the other parts. So I think, so I think early days, like it was questions around when you think of like maybe, maybe Facebook or others, like there's questions around like, how do you scale like, how do you scale rule sets that allow us to make decisions around what, around what we're going to do? And it seems like some of the first things that were done were like, do we take it down? Do we leave it up? Do we get rid of an account or something like that? They're sort of like what I think of as like binary enforcement actions, right? Yeah. And and understandably, um, you know, you I, my sense is like, especially because it's largely Americans working at these companies, people either intentionally with them was probably intentional, but like intentionally or unconsciously reach towards like the norms of like due process, the common law consistency, right? Like, the, like there's a common law structure and a law like structure that emerges from it, which is like, we're making decisions that have impact on people's lives every day. And I think, and I think trust and safety folks to my mind are like, I think of them as like helpers. Like I think people experience you know, like trust and safety or content moderation as like an enforcement function, which, which it is. And, and, and like an like a bad power like intervention of power into their life, but I think a lot of the people who do the job are actually not enforcement minded people. They're like help, helper, first responder, caregiver type people by personality. Right. And and so they're often like, okay, like how do I how do I make this better? Can I make everybody happy? Can I can my can I intervene in some way where the harm to people is gone? Right. Yep. And so and so that and so I think that's like the thinking that comes out of like when you think of the early rule sets, and I, and I know people like infinitely mock like the aspiration of these rule sets but but they but i think what they aspire to is like clarity so that that there's you know relative consistency of decision making over time right mm -hmm. you know and then and then also you know fair you know fairness and also like applicability to all the different hard situations and so i think and i think it is like a common law thing like you start making decisions 
And then each platform, I think, tends to have like its own body of common law like decisions that emerge. And then like, you know, you have like if it's really important, then maybe you make a rule and that's sort of like maybe roughly like a statute. But it's like each you know, another way of thinking about this is like each platform is its own history of trauma. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. it's like because it's like, oh, OK, this really bad thing happened on this platform. They are not going to get fooled again. And they have like maybe even overcorrect, you know, around that in the future. And then yep. some other platform, you know, there's their like internal precedents have some other set of like, you know, happenstance that happened. Um, and, and some of those are coincidence and some of those are, are like very endemic to the to the structure of the product. So to me, that's like early days, which is like, how do we scale? How do we create rule sets at scale? How do we, you know, eventually allow to differentiate the team so that there's people that are like engaging in like relatively fast and consistent decision making and then have other people that are like thinking about how to structure these things. Right. I think. Yeah. So I think over time, like a bunch of things have, have, have happened. Like one of the things that have, has happened is that we've learned, we've learned, we've learned a lot. We, we, one of the things we learned is that like with the law of large numbers, you will inevitably like have like, not just unhappy people, you will eventually have inconsistency, right? Right. On, on any given day. And I think, um, to me, this is partly a function of partly of large numbers, but partly a function of just like human subjectivity that like people people will disagree over X or Y. There's 2 billion people on the service now. The odds that they will agree over X or Y is like zero. You know, you'll, have two, you'll have 2 billion opinions about what's, what's up and what's down. And so that level of like disagreement has accumulated around, I think, the decision-making process to make it, it's, it's because when I hear discourse, it's like, oh, you got to be more consistent. Oh, like, you took down X, that's that's like this. You took down Y, that's like that. That's not consistent. Or like, to me, these are not like technology problems. I think this is like an aspiration to a level of consistency that is beyond what human subjectivity would allow. Right. Like, I don't, I don't think courts are this consistent either, right? Like, it's just... Right. But, 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 the, but the amplification of large numbers sort of makes it, makes it much more apparent. Um, I, I think over the years, a couple of like, I guess, important things have happened. One of the, I think the good developments has been the question of, can we, in this is maybe the last two to three years, like, okay, we have this enforcement function, take it up, leave, you know, you know uh, take it down, leave it up. But are there other things we can do that nudge in different directions or intervene to cause these things to be less likely to happen in the first place, right? So I think of this as like more of like a public health approach. Mm -hmm. um, and I think these are like harder and more nuanced and harder to talk about. It's harder to know when they're happening because if they're successful, then many of the bad things either don't happen in the first place or happen in like a much more, um, you know, mitigated form. Um, and I think they're also just like, uh, they, they involve counterfactuals around what might've happened. And so I think they're, they're very important, but also sort of different than your traditional, like, let's have a team of people making fast decision, make, you know, making fast decisions about like what, um, you know, what stays up and what comes down or what accounts are banned or like, you know, what we put a label up on or, or sort of, sort of things like that. Um, I think other developments over the years have been like, I, I, the, the, the arbitrage, the, the use of it is like a vector for, you know, both like money arbitrage and other forms of like attention games, but then also, you know, hostile government, you know, activity and all these other things. I think essentially like the number of problems has only ever proliferated. Right. Um, so one of one of my new adages, Mike, is like content moderation is other people. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> be, 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 and you know that's why I tell because like yeah. all you're really doing is encountering the mind and the expression of two billion other people who probably disagree with you. 
Right. And so like why anybody thinks that that should be peaceful or resolve well, um, like goes to, you know, goes to the question of like issuing 2 billion printing presses and distribution networks to people. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's, it's so much interesting stuff that you said there that I'd like to dig in on, on every single one. And we only have so much time. But, but I, I mean, I find it amusing to some extent, like the point that you made that like, no matter what decisions you make in a lot of these cases, especially if it's like, leave up, take down, somebody's going to be mad at you. And yet you also describe the people who tend to be attracted to to trust and safety to be sort of helper minded. Um, and there's an interesting contrast there where these people come in and want, want legitimately to help and to make, you know, make the site that they're working on and the world in general a better place. And yet, basically, they spend their day making people mad at them, <laughs> which I think is an interesting challenge. Yeah. And, and, and I, I get it because like you're experiencing, I, and I think the, 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 the quantitative aspect of like, okay, here's how many of these happen and here's how many of those happen, like the transparency mm -hmm. reporting, I think, I think part of the current, um, what can I say, intensity about this right now is that it's experienced as a dignitary harm. Like when your speech mm. gets taken down, like there's something deeply qualitative about it. Um, and I, I, like I sometimes, like I feel like I'm the least numerate person in Silicon Valley. And so to me, <laughs> I've always thought about these problems like qualitatively relative to some of the like really good data operations out there. That right. like each one of each one of these, you know, whatever you might think of the person that you're you're that you're potentially arguing with, you know, through through Zendesk or over email, it's like it is like a deep dignitary harm that like somebody has speech right. that's it's their expression. It's like part of themselves that gets taken down. Somebody judges it or like characterizes it as something that they don't agree with. And and so I think part of the part of the hard part of um, trust and safety work, there's a lot of hard parts, is like trying to honor that, but also make it make a firm decision. I, th I think that's another like very 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 core core thing about trust and safety that a lot of folks I, I try to, to to make people get, which is like you must make decisions, a lot of decisions in any given day, and and it is like difficult and fatiguing, and right. and, and that's true for a lot for tons of jobs. But I think when I talk to like smart policy people or smart folks in government or or, or lots of others, what tends to happen is that you just like show them a thing that's like, okay, here's a here's a post, here's a tweet, here's an image, here's a video, look at it. Okay, cool. Um, what do we do? And what they tend to do is say like, well, we should try to balance the free speech aspects with the other important policy considerations such as privacy, as well as the like general need for, and it's like, okay, cool, great. What do we do? And then, <laughs> and then you're like, well, we should probably build in some wiggle room for the possibility of the bubble. And it's like, okay, cool. Like now you're like over time by 80 seconds. So like, right. And so, so, you know, eventually the decision must get made and then like there are consequences for it. And, right. and so that's why when I, when I'm out here in the world talking about this, um, you know, this field that like, I, I love so much that I tell people like, if you're, if you're going to put pen to paper to either like write about content moderation as a journalist, or if you're going to like draft a law, certainly about content moderation, um, you should, you should try to moderate a group of people. Like you make a Facebook group of a hundred friends, go moderate a subreddit for a month. Just try to do it at least once. Right. Just so you can experience, experience the decision-making and experience the raw reality of doing it. You know, right. and, and, and I think of this as like the, um, you know, like war games, global thermonuclear war <laughs> thing of like, of like, you should, you should play it out in its concrete form. And right. Because there's something about like that, that is just very different than the very intelligent policy discussions that happen around it. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's incredible. And, and like, you know, one thing that you mentioned earlier also that I've been thinking more and more about is, is just comparing it to the actual judicial system. I know that there's always like, there are a lot of parallels be between trust and safety and like the way courts function and work. And sometimes it's good to talk about in that sense. And sometimes it's bad. But, you know, the fact that, as you pointed out, like the judicial system itself does not consistently rule on on different cases, you know, on, on you know, similar cases in the same way. And, you know, and they have you know, the, the difference, the differences between them are stark in terms of things like the amount of time and the fact that you have like trained advocates on on all sides of uh, of the discussion. And, you know, you have, uh, you know, lots of detailed filings and it goes on, you know, over the course of years in some cases, and then courts may come to totally different decisions. Um, and we sort of accept that as okay. But then we expect that, you know, content moderation decisions that are made where you have like 20 seconds to make a decision and different people around the world with different perspectives and they're supposed to get it right every single time. Uh, it's just sort of like, I, I, it, it's bizarre to me that, that people expect there to be some level of consistency over that when we don't see it in other areas where there may be, you know, a lot more information shared and a lot more, you know, ability to, to dig deep on things. Yeah. I, and I, I think I, I actually sort of rabbit hole on this once where, on this question of like, what is the unit economics of good justice? Uh -huh. Because, because, and I like looked at like, what's the budget for the federal courts? Like how much does it cost to like run a ninth circuit? Like if I wanted to, right. you know, cause, and I'm sure the oversight board people have thought about this, but it's like, you know, courts are expensive. That's why, you know, that's why most cases appropriately settle. And because if you're going to do due process right up to like American standards, then you're affording a ton of due process appropriately, but it's expensive. Right. Yeah. And judges are expensive and lawyers are expensive and court reporters are expensive courtrooms and all that stuff. And so if you took the unit economics of the American judiciary, you know, whatever it is, federal state, and then you applied it to like content moderation, I, I never, I'm not good enough at math, like, as I said, to, to do this, but I looked at like the federal judicial center stuff and was like, I don't think there's enough money in the world. <laughs> right. Um, and this, and this is the, the question I always had about like, oh, the only removal should ever happen after like an order from a, from a court or whatever. Like, right. You know, which is, which is, I think a perfectly plausible position in, like in, in many ways, but it also, I think of it as like, I, I don't want to think, I don't want to be vulgar and say like justice, you know, has a unit economics, but it definitely has a budget. Um, right. <laughs> and it costs a certain amount to, de to deliver it. And that hasn't really been part of the conversation. Cause I imagine like the number of decisions that get made, you know, at a private, at a private company, it's just like, it's just dwarfs the number of decisions that get made in any other adjudication system. Right. And so, and so I think we, we look at the judiciary because it adjudicates stuff, but I think like the, the scale of the things that happen is, is totally different in terms of like what, what these decisions do. And so I think aspiring to courts is like, I'm not, I'm not sure it's the right, I'm not sure it's the right metaphor. I think we've all gone yeah. down this path of thinking of them as court-like because they adjudicate, but I think there's all these other like very, very hard questions, including like scale and cost. And like, I've joked about like, can I like be admitted to the bar of the oversight board? Like, <laughs> right, are, you, right. are you gonna, are you gonna have like lawyers who only practice on the internet um, and, and, and things like that? So, uh, and, and I think there's like a separate, like interesting legal question on just like, you can have global, you know, quote unquote, like speech courts that whose jurisdiction is a company. Right. Um, and so it's like a very different way of slicing 
you know, what, what it is you're, you're doing. But I, le- I leave a lot of those questions to like the serious lawyers, um, <laughs> like uh, because like like the, like Kate Connick and Daphne Keller and Evelyn Zwack and people who are like deeply right. s- legal scholars. Yeah, um, and to, to me, trust and safety is really like this other this other thing that sits on top of it because it's really like I said, sort of social you know, platform design and social impact. And I think the, the, the job of thinking about human beings who are experiencing the product. And I think also maybe another aspect of that is like the things that go wrong instead of the things that go right. Yeah. Right. Like the product people want to, you know, they, they may do very good research and think very well, but they want to think about the things that are going to go right. And I think, you know, the trust and safety people, like I said, by, by temperament or having it thrust upon them are the ones who think about, all the different ways that it's going to go wrong. So it's like product right. person might be like, Oh, okay, this will happen. This will happen. Then people will do X. And then it's like, yeah, but they're not going to do X. They're going to do Y. They're going to do Z. <laughs> they're going to do D. They're going to do X minus one. They're going to do X backwards. Um, and that, and we have to like be ready for what's going to happen as a result of that. And it's just like a very, a very different mindset. I want to say I, I was giving a talk somewhere on this and somebody was like, okay, you've talked about like all the different problems, like when the trust and safety team either like doesn't have institutional power, doesn't have budget, isn't able to intervene, you know, or is like overruled by business decisions. Like what happens when the trust and safety team gets too powerful? Right. Right. And I, and I, and I think the correct answer is like, yes, then you have no product or like, then you have no company. What I, <laughs> what I said at the time was like, that's like asking like what happens when the marching band beats up the football team, which is just like, <laughs> It's just like it's like given the structural nature of, <laughs> of right of whatever you want to say markets and venture capital and, and product and, and everything else like it's not it's not it's a thing not, that happens it's a right. check on some other thing yeah yeah but that could uh, change as like human rights and human rights impact assessment and ethical thinking and all these other fields I think like dovetail I think trust and safety is like a human risk aspect of like some of these other like like kind of more humanistic things. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you could see a world where that would happen, but it does seem it does seem highly unlikely. <laughs> right, like the, the world's. I I feel like I could write a show, like a sitcom about like the world's most cautious startup or something, or like this would be like half an episode of Silicon Valley, like, right. like a startup run by lawyers, right, where right, you essentially you know launch nothing and do nothing. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. I mean, there's there's so many different like interesting avenues on this, where you know I th- I think that so much of it is just that that I mean you're right that people don't necessarily understand this. I mean, like you know, and you have all these different legal proposals, and I don't know if you saw the the uh, I wrote about it on TechTurt, and it's been written about in a couple other places, like the law that just passed in Utah. Though I don't know, the governor hasn't decided whether or not he's going to sign it yet. Which one uh, is that? It's it's an, another one of these, you know, content moderation ones where, like, basically the sites would have to declare publicly what their policies are, and if anyone feels that they are were treated unfairly based on those policies or that the results were unfair to them they can complain to the state ag and the state ag can can launch an investigation and find the company for not following its own policies effectively and it it just you know or 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 having the policy outcomes be unfair in some sense and it just struck me as so disconnected from how trust and safety actually works in reality and the idea that like 
somebody feels wronged. It's like everyone who has their content moderated feels wronged. Yeah. You know, it's just sort of like, I mean, there, I'm sure there are very, there are some exceptions where somebody is just like knowingly trolling and sooner or later they're like, yeah, yeah, I deserve that. But like most people who, who, you know, run afoul of trust and safety, you know, they, they get very indignant. <laughs> we're, we're, right. I, so this is, this is actually another reason I love this, like, this work and this challenge is because I think trust and safety or like content moderation has a bunch of different ways that it like breaks your brain. Right. Like, it, like it, it's like, it's like a field designed by MC Escher. Like there's a lot of ways <laughs> where the problems all like, if you like look at them long enough, they all turn inside out. And so, right. <laughs> and so I think that problem I think is related to the human subjectivity problem, right? Which is like anybody can like, look at, you know, characterize a particular piece of speech or, you know, a particular piece of content or whatever. And it's like, we are all so like stuck in our own skin and our own bodies and our own like historical experiences that and biographical experiences that you're like, well, that's a that. And that the other thing is the other thing. Right. And then you like universalize that as like, it's so obvious. Right. Like people who think differently must be crazy. But right. lo and behold, like every other person sitting next to you thinks something else. And like, it's, it sounds so simple that like to say it that way, but like really like the fact that it's very tempting to universalize your own experience and it's very, very hard to get out of your own mind and your own skin. Like these, to me, these are not technology problems. Like these collisions are like facilitated by the, these technologies, but essentially like, on, cause on that one, it's like, again, I, I, I was like, the reason I do this is partly cause I was a B student in law school, but it's like my understanding <laughs> of like law is like, one person gets up and says like, oh, this thing that happened, like this piece of content, it's just like that other time. Remember that time that there was this other piece of content? And so we did X. So let's do X now. And then like the other person stands up and is like, no, no, no. This is importantly different because it has Y quality. So it's right. different. So there's a distinction. So we should totally not do X. We should do Y. Right. And then the first person gets up and says like, oh, but that's an exception for this important policy reason. Right. So we should so we should do X, and and so like the ability of the human mind and like this is like supposed to be the majesty of the common law to like proliferate distinctions and then harmonize you know harmonize distinctions into something that looks like a body of consistent rules is I think part of like both like the majesty but also like the mirage of the common law, <laughs> right? And, and so like the notion that it would be con that that it would be self evident whether it's consistent or not. To me, it's just like an understand, and, and as you say, at the margins, absolutely, there's things where it's like that's that was in, that was out. But the notion that people that there's any degree of um, of unanimity on that seems sort of nuts. It, it reminds me of like the NetCG, I think, has the same fallacy because I think it has somewhere yep. in it this question of like something is is if it's clearly illegal, take it down, right? And mm -hmm. it's like, and I imagine the conversation being like, if it's illegal, take it down, and it's like, well, like what about stuff that's like on the line? It's like, okay, okay, like clearly illegal let's put the word clearly in and it's like yeah but when you put the word clearly in front of it, it doesn't actually make it more clear <laughs> like right. you're trying to say things that are but like it's clearly illegal to you right um but but actually no it's still so, so you can't just like get your way out of this subjectivity conundrum by putting the word clearly in front of it right right um, and so and so here I, I totally understand this point of like again wanting to uphold like strong american due process norms of like consistency and fairness and like, you know, that things should be applied, you know, with equanimity. But I think the notion that you, again, if you just polled people and looked at any piece of content, the notion that people 
will achieve any degree of, of like consensus on any of this stuff. I think to me is just like the more you believe that it's self-evident, the more you are stuck in your own mind and your own skin <laughs> and are having like a failure of the imagination and empathy to imagine how somebody believes the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that is a really good description. You know, I think I've said before that, like, for so many people think that, like, the answer to content moderation problems are, are obvious. It's just, you know, decide what I would decide, right? You know, and it's like they seem to think that any decision that, that is different from what they decide is clearly erroneous, right? And it's like, okay, now scale yourself, right? You know, so you can handle a billion decisions a day. Right? I feel like this is, it's, it's funny. Cause like I, I myself was not at like, so this is techs. Usually this is tech tech company sins, right. Of being like, Oh, there's an industry out there with hundreds of years or tens or dozens of years of like lessons. Right. Right. Let me study it for five minutes on Wikipedia <laughs> and I shall disrupt it, right. <laughs> you know, by, and it's like with, with, with zero humility, I will disrupt it by fathoming it in five minutes. And so, Totally, totally to be fair, like tech companies do that all the time and tech people do that all the time. But yeah. content moderation is the one maybe or, or one of a few areas where the opposite happens, where like somebody who's like a journalist or, or like a, a very perfectly smart and educated and, and, and thoughtful person in some other field will be like, here's a problem that people have been working for on 15 years and have spent tens of or you know hundreds of millions of dollars trying to work on. I shall think about it on my afternoon walk for 12 minutes <laughs> and then I will write an editorial about why it is all self-evidently obvious how it should be solved in 750 words. It's like, right. The hubris of it is sort of like amazing, but I totally get that that's like what people put up with from, from tech people forever. So maybe it's like rough justice, but I don't think it's the trust and safety teams that inflicted that on people. Yeah. <laughs> that's, said hubris. That's, a, that's a good way to think about it. Um, <laughs> So I, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the digital trust and safety partnership, which yeah. I know you had something to to, to help to put put together. Um, do you want to sort of describe what what the idea behind it is? Yeah, totally. And so I spent a bunch of months on this, and I'm and I'm excited about it. So the notion was this is this is the first industry led um, initiative, and so um, you know it's a bunch of different tech companies um, coming together, and you know like you know, Facebook, Google, Discord, Microsoft. Pinterest, Reddit, Shopify, Twitter, Vimeo, a whole bunch and, and growing to try to start saying like, what are best practices going to look like for trust and safety um, with, with the goal of sort of converging, not, not in a way that will cause the platforms to moderate the same way, but in a way that mm -hmm. best practices can start to take hold. And so if that makes sense, so, so I guess what I'm saying is like, th there's not the idea that people will say like, hate speech means X or that we should all think this, right? Right. It's, it's more like, okay, what does it look like to have a trust and safety team that um, is enforcing, you know, um, at a high level? Like, what software do you use? Like, um, do you have human decision making? How many human beings do you have making decisions? What's automated? What's done with humans in the loop? Um, what are the range of remedies that exist on your platform? You know, what forms of notice do you give users before you take, you know, before you intervene? Um, you know, what are the, you know, different, like, you know, say appeals or other due process mechanisms that exist? Um, what are like the language and cultural competencies that your, that your trust and safety folks have? Um, how do they participate in a product development so that before launch, um, you know, you know, they've, they've had input into, you know, the potential human risks and have they, you know, meaningfully participated in, you know, pre-launch risk mitigation, this sort of stuff. So it's like, I, I think of it as like very process oriented, um, mm -hmm. 
things around whether your company's doing it. And so the goal is to like, um, and so there's a, there's a couple page document on this dtspartnership.org website of saying like, okay, we've managed to come up with a few pages of like exemplary best practices around this, right? And so this, this for me, part of why this is so attractive was that I have for a while now, like I said, I'm not a scholar, but I think of myself as like an anthropologist of this field. Because mm-hmm. um, I think it's just like, it's endlessly fascinating and the people and the concrete details about how it gets done are endlessly fascinating. And so part of doing this was the question of like, okay, before before one can like come up with best practices, because like, again, it would be hubris for me to like pull them from my head. Um, there's the question of just like, what are the practices? Like, what do people do? <laughs> right. Like, let's observe, like, let's study what people, what people do. And I think understandably, lots of, you know, folks have, have said like, oh, companies have, have not been sufficiently transparent about what they do. And I think, I think there's actually good historical reasons for that. And there's like long been like a sort of secret service ethos around trust and safety work around not taking victory laps and not advertising your playbook and sort of like good and bad reasons for that stuff. But, but nevertheless, like I was able to sort of like talk to companies and study like, okay, what are the practices? Like what are the range of things that we do? And you know, that list has like video and market companies and, you know, marketplace apps and like a pretty, pretty wide and disparate range of, size companies and, and, and types of products they offer and try to within that, like, you know, very divergent group of, of, of practices and companies try to say like, okay, can you abstract at a higher level, a bunch of things that are plausible best practices that, that we can all agree are, you know, these, these are a good idea to do. And if you want to do this work, well, here are some of the areas that you might invest in and like, here's how we're going to, we're going to assess it. And so, so that's what we have now. And then, um, so there's like a bunch of feedback getting, you know, that the group's getting right now from all different stakeholders and civil society, government, others. Um, and then the goal from there, which I think is going to be really interesting, is moving into an assessment phase, meaning and meaning like the, initially the companies will sort of like um, we're going to condense these best practices into like what I call like the form on the clipboard, mm. like, like the kitchen inspector um, and, and then have companies like, you know, take a look and say like, okay, are we doing this? Like, are we meeting these obligations? Are we meeting these commitments? Um, how well are we doing them? Do we need to invest more in this? Is there a gap here? And then move to a, a phase where you have an external assessor who can, again, take like the form in the clipboard and then come in and do an assessment and say like, okay, like you're meeting this, you're not meeting this commitment and then publish a report, you know, like a public report on, you know, how, how are the different companies, companies doing? Um, and so then, and so I think this hopefully will go some of the ways, because um, you know, to trying to establish a little bit of trust and communication about how this work gets done. Because mm-hmm. um, I think one of the deficits between sort of like public and Washington and tech companies and others is like wanting to show what the details are of how the work gets done, and for the public to want to feel like okay, what well, we want detailed reports about like how, who's making this, you know, how the decision's getting made and how are these like, um, you know, community guidelines getting written and, you know, what, what are the different, what are the different practices? And so I, th- I think this should hopefully be like a gradual, like a, a, a gradual escalation of commitments and a gradual escalation of transparency and showing like, okay, here's, here's all the things that are, that are happening. And then we can like, then we can talk about them and they can be criticized and they can be improved upon and suggestions can be, can be made. But part of the challenge, I think, there's a whole bunch of challenges here that I think are super say interesting things about this work. And so, and, and one of them was that I think a lot of the, 
interesting observations that folks have made about you know like what needs to be improved is very textualist in nature mm-hmm. like meaning like people like look at the rule set you know look at look at sort of a non-scientific sampling of decisions and say like like this rule could be better or this thing doesn't work so well but understandably like um i think of this as like you have the recipe book published on the website but nobody really gets to go into the kitchen understandably <laughs> you know and and like i said there's a history as to like why it's hard, it's been hard to build that trust and i understand regulators are like okay we will just like we're just going to come in the kitchen and see but i think right. part of the goal here is to say like okay here's like what it looks like to come in the kitchen and see like okay here's how the adjudication happens like to, you know this is automated decision making this is human decision making this is human assisted decision making here's how our like misinformation you know rule set works or whatever eventually and so obviously like there's going to be limits to like how much confidential stuff can be in there because you know you don't you can't make the playbook public or, or else it sort of suffers ineffectiveness right but i think that the goal is to go a distance towards having an assessor like yeah go inspect the kitchen and say like this isn't just what a bunch of documents say about what might happen um you know this is this is what it appears to be happening um i, I had a mentor who used to say that like, there's there's what you're doing there's what you say you're doing and there's what you think you're doing <laughs> so, right so this, so this is try tries to like get it get it more of the things right interesting i mean i i think that there's a lot of like um you know competing interests or competing ideas here that, that you know is important to think about right because you know you're right and one thing that we didn't address you sort of brought it up within this discussion is the fact that like you know, a lot of people do call for like more transparency and, 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 you know, public revealing of, of rules in the decision process. Um, and that in its own way is a challenge. I mean, you talked about it being less effective, but, you know, to, to be more explicit about it, like you have people out there who are legitimately trying to game the rules and in some cases and in some ways, like, you know, I, and I'm always a, a, in general a supporter of transparency, but I recognize that like transparency around this stuff is often just the, the roadmap for how, how yeah. people will abuse your system. Um, you know, I, I've joked a few times, I think even on the podcast that like the only person who, or the only people who have ever asked for specifics about how TechDirt's comments are, are moderated and we have this, you know, funky voting system. The only one who's asked how that all works is like our biggest troll who's been trying to game <laughs> the system for years. Right. <laughs> and it's like, he's the only one who seems to really be concerned about that. And that, you know, on a much larger scale, I think that's true in a lot of, a lot of cases. So sort of balancing those different efforts is is an interesting challenge in its own way <laughs> this reminds me of, of the fact that like sometimes like your sometimes your trolls are just sort of like fans but but like reverse polarity right because like because like they certainly engage a bunch and yes. like and they often like give very detailed <laughs> criticism yes. and and like you said they certainly care more about your like your rule set than like your average person yeah and so there's something about like the intensity of the troll relationship that is both interesting and I think, and, and this is different than like you know other other bad actors in their site, but um, but the troll the troll thing is like um, as you say they're like the they are in some ways your mirror image, right? Yeah. Like they're or they're your like your complement, um, and your double and and I, actually one of the one of the folks that I work with a ton, um, in in trust and safety nowadays who like we, we do a bunch a lot of projects together um was at one point like one of mediums in, like you know trolls oh and, wow like, <laughs> and we sort of got to know each other like through that um until I was eventually like was like oh I'm gonna hire this person right because like, they're 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 great at this um 
and of course, like similar to like, you know, like the, the art forger who becomes like, you know, right. the, great, the, the great FBI consultant, but like, you know, he's great at it because like he really gets it on, on a very visceral level of like what, what the entire game is. Right. Um, so, so yeah. So I think, I think that part of it is funny that like you, as you say, you don't want to allow things to be re reverse engineered or circumvented in these sort of like, um, plausible deniability or bad faith, like, you know, right. Like coming up within an inch of the line, um, and, and encouraging that sorts of behavior. But I, I do think the conundrum, maybe I'll talk about this for a second. Cause I think the historical conundrum was like very, very hard structurally. Cause I think for a long time, like I said, I think companies, the way companies see themselves and the way that people see companies, is of course, like often vastly different, but yeah. I think companies saw themselves as like, if you had a takedown or if you had a particular issue with a user or, or a bad actor or whatever, I think the companies saw themselves as being like circumspect and mm -hmm. respecting the privacy rights of the user. And people would say like, what happened here? Why this happened? What's going on? And the company would, would basically be like no comment, right? For years. Right. And again, I think the company's self image in that was like in those earlier days was like, oh, like I said, this is like secret service or medical professional or somebody who's saying like, I'm not going to comment on this. This thing happened. We dealt with it. But like, you know, among other reasons, this is before privacy law was even an issue, but now it's even much more of an issue. Like we're not going to comment. But then, you know, people are going to comment. Journalists understandably want to know. There's transparency concerns. You know, the, the, the bad actor themselves may be out there in the world, like, like you know, mischaracterizing or characterizing, like, what happened. And so then the companies are sort of, like, remaining silent and seeming withholding in a world where there's, like, all this discourse around the thing. Right. Right. And so, so I think it becomes very hard. Because I think historically what happened was that eventually a thing would happen that was intense enough or bad enough that a company would like break the rule and be like, okay, we never usually comment, but this time we're just going to say <laughs> this person really had it coming or whatever. Or, or whatever. Right, right. And, and, and then once you've done that, then understandably people will be like, well, now you're being inconsistent because you commented that one time. So like, why can't you comment this time? And, and so that, and I think journalists and others very understandably are like, okay, well, justice happens in the light of day. And why, why doesn't this happen in the light of day? Like why is right. this transparent at that level? Um, so I think, so I think there's like that funny history of like communication strategies really coming from a place of like, I, I really do think this of like wanting to be circumspect and privacy respectful and then being seen as a bunch of other things and then getting into this like very bad, um, very, very sort of toxic, you know, dynamic of like withholding and attacking and like prying out information and, um, and stuff like that. Um, and another, another interesting aspect of this I wanted to mention is, that I think all the all the weird things that we've learned from content moderation and platforms, if you transport these insights into other contexts, they make everything look very weird. This is why I say like I, I love this like MC Escher field of art. So like <laughs> so just for example, like it's true that courts happen in the light in the light of day, but chambers are not like that. So like right. actually like like clerks never talk about like what the judge d did and like how they actually ruled or like how their process worked. So, so my experience of it is like the, the legal system is like incredibly transparent in terms of the part that's the, you know, the part that's on stage, right? but the part that's off stage is actually incredibly, incredibly secretive. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a good point. And, 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 and the actual lawmaking that happens by judges and chambers is both explicitly and like by, you know, implicit, like social pressure, you know, there's all sorts of things that are sacrosanct about that. So. So it's so it's it's not quite I think what people think it is um, in the, in that way and and another like interesting one that I often raise as we talk about transparency reporting is like 
it's kind of weird that we don't want transparency reporting from other places. Like I used to, I used to troll like journalists by saying like, well, why don't you guys put on a transparency report? Right. Like, like why don't you, why don't you tell me how many like Harvey Weinstein stories got spiked <laughs> each year until you published one? Right. And, 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 the, and there's a very understandable set of like journalistic newsroom ethics around like, you can't, you can't do this. People protect their sources. Like you, or, and, and I think, and, and I think another like weird metaphysical question is that people say like, well, that's not a story. It was right. a thing that was going to become a story. Whereas like a post is on social media and then it's taken down, it's been removed. But right. to me, that is sort of like moving the line of conception is really like a, like a <laughs> philosopher's like, you know, game. Yeah. Right. This is, this is just sort of sophistry. So it's like, and, and so I think there's many good reasons why journalists have to protect themselves and protect their sources and protect their process. But also part of me is like, maybe there should be a transparency report. Like, right. like, like a lot of the desires that people have about tech companies and the way that, that they affect speech. Um, maybe should like when, when Ted Cruz was yelling at somebody during one of the hearings and was like, nobody elected Twitter. Right. Um, my feeling was always like nobody elected the New York times. Like the market decided right. that people wanted to buy this paper and, and like, umpteen generations of Salzburgers like ruled it um, <laughs> with like dual class shares. And so, so, and so I don't, I don't want to think of myself as just like tech industry person, but I think like the demands that are expected from content moderation are often so aspirational and so high Yeah, that part of me wants to say like, these are very hard. They're impossible. You can't operate like they're costly. If you fully internalize the cost of doing this, this is why it's so hard. And then part of me wants to say like, cool like people are so you know intense intensely um moved by this stuff that they have all these demands about how they want the thing to work like maybe those should just be like the demands for lots of things yeah <laughs> well, that's, I know. That's, that's, it's like there's no like tech transparency report, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's true. <laughs> don't 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 get me in trouble. <laughs> um, no, it's a fair statement, though. Um, so so I I, I, I want to ask, even though I know it's going to open up a whole nother uh, discussion subject, and we're, we're probably pushing our luck on time. <laughs> but I mentioned at the beginning that you've been doing some stuff with blockchain related trust and safety, um, and you know, as I think most people listening to this will have known, you know, I wrote this big paper on on protocols, not platforms, which I think is like a really important concept, and I'm still doing a lot of work on that, and we'll have more published soon. Um, but you know, one of the things that's been interesting to me is this idea that like if you move stuff to a distributed system or a blockchain based system, um, some people seem to think that that means that you don't need trust and safety anymore and that everything else takes care of it. And that was certainly not the point that I was making right. uh, with my paper. And so I'm just kind of curious, like at a very brief overview, and maybe sometime in the future we'll we'll have we'll have you back on and do a much longer discussion on this. But what what uh, what are you looking at in terms of blockchain related trust and safety stuff? Yeah, so so this I I really love this problem. It's sort of like re reawakened a lot of the things that I that I love about this work because I spent a bunch of the last year working with um, Protocol Labs, which has a, mm -hmm. a network called Filecoin, which is sort of like. For, for you know for lack of metaphor it's like distributed AWS it's going to be like distributed storage um, on the web it's functioning now and there's a thing called IPFS which is the protocol that it sits on the uh, interplanetary file system and then filecoin is sort of like this um, coin which allows people to, to do deals to to, to bind and self storage and so the notion is like you will have 
distributed storage. So, I mean, I think it's also sort of like real life Pied Piper. Maybe it's like yeah. a short, short version of it. Um, but they're, they're, and so I think starting from first principles, it's like the, the, like the, the, the values and the aspirations of, of a lot of blockchain folks, which is like interesting and different. And in some ways, like reminiscent of early web, it's like a little bit anarchic, a little bit libertarian, but also highly, highly community oriented because there's so many open source projects. Right. Um, like this one that are like deeply invested in like distributing power, distributing authority, achieving consensus, either through good community practices or through like using technology efficiencies to create the ability to find consensus. It's in some ways like there's aspirations to like, you know, remake the web along these different protocols that are like more transparent, more distributed, um, you know, work through a, a different system and will potentially lead to different outcomes than the one that we're having now, which is like highly centralized players right um and so i think of this as almost like like relearning everything i know in a different key <laughs> right because like because like when you're thinking about blockchain architecture and like building content applications that will eventually mature you know building all the social things on top of blockchain you're really it's like all the furniture is in a different place right um and so and so none of your and so like like content moderation is weird enough but now you're going to have to think about like is it like, is this working in a distributed manner? Is this consistent with like the values of this network? Um, because I think, I think to your point, like the notion that there will be um, applications, you know, built up blockchain that have no ability to intervene, I think is probably not realistic. Right. Right. Because people are going to upload lots of bad things. There's going to be law enforcement interest eventually. Like, like there's a whole lot of all the, all the usual horsemen of the content moderation <laughs> apocalypse <laughs> um, will 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 reveal themselves eventually because right. because human beings are involved and so that stuff will not be different but the but there's but this is another i think a chance to do it in a way that might that might just come out differently yeah. partly because consensus and authority will be like the authority will potentially be distributed by the by the technology right. in a way that's going to require different types of solutions so like with content moderation like it seems like likely that there must be some forms of content moderation or interventions that get made in a blockchain-based application, right. but it's not going to be one person at a, at a company making the decision. It's going to have right. to be done through something else. So then we have a chance now to say, like, great, like let's let's we can we can talk with stakeholders in advance. We can think about what this looks like to be more distributed, more fair, more transparent than the yeah. last time, right? So so I think it's like extremely hopeful i another one of my like things that led me to this was the real for me at least the realization that content moderation problems eventually escalate into storage problems and payment right. problems so it's like you can you can fight all the live long day about a piece of content or speech or whatever but when the rubber hits the road and it escalates you know you know up or down like the tech the stack eventually yeah. you're going to be fighting with a storage provider or you're going to be fighting with a payment provider because what you're trying to do is like take something down for good or deprive right. somebody of money. Right. And I think like with like Cloudflare and PayPal and all this stuff that we've seen recently um, and with like parlor, like, you know, having to look for new hosting companies, like that's, yep. that's like the escalation of the content problem to the, to the storage and payment layer. Yep. So I think part of the insight of this one is like, okay, part of what's happening on blockchain is a reimagining of what the storage layer looks like and a reimagining of what the payment layer looks like. Yeah. And so, and so I don't, and I don't think it's desirable to want to like prevent there from being interventions, 
Right. I think that's like the popular conception, which is like everything is immutable. Nothing could be done. We've, <laughs> we've tied our hands to the mast. Things will happen and we will be stuck with them forever. Maybe some chains are like that. But I think the, I think the, the, to me, the, the, the nuanced place that we're going to wind up in is like we, can, we have a chance to, to re-architect some of these things with all the lessons that we've learned from yeah. the last two webs. Yeah, and, and I think it's fascinating. I have lots, lots of thoughts on this. <laughs> I've been doing some stuff on it lately as well. And I think that it'll, it'll be interesting because the distributed nature of it allows for very different approaches um, that I think are really fascinating, but are well worth thinking through. So it's, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's also retaught me why centralization exists, which is like, it's very efficient. Right. Yes. So yes, it always does come down to that. To some yeah. Extent. But it's just, I just think like I, I, I really love being around a lot of blockchain people who think, who sort of like think in the key of distributed computing. Right. Um, but then also it, I, my, my experience of it is like, it's like a parks and rec episode where it's like every <laughs> everything must be done many 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 times because of the amount of stakeholders right and so like that very like multiplicity and plurality of the enterprise is both what's great but but for yep. me not having come up through like open source world this is like maybe the, the first time i've really had to go deep on like how that process works and see i guess computers can make it more efficient but like me as a human you know, can't make it that, that, that and I, and I can see why this like economies of scale, um, like, like exist. Um, yeah. I, I'm very curious about whether all the current like enthusiasm for antitrust, like leads people to be satisfied with whatever the outcome is. Like if they break up, you know, company X, Y, or Z, is that, is that going to, you know, change, change yeah. the, the way people feel about, about content moderation and, you know, and like clubhouse and, um, other, you know, TikTok and other like new insurgents like happened. I think even though people said like, oh, there's, there's no way there could ever be right. new insurgents, you know, it, yeah. it, it happened. And, and, and I don't know that like a thing being built on blockchain will cause a user to be like, I want to use that. But I think if the applications that get built on top of it lead to like a different style of decision making that feels more fair and less yeah. alienating then you know, then maybe, but I think it's just sort of like. It's not mature yet, but but it's like if you're if you're into like the early the early weird geeky phase of a thing, I think it's like very exciting now. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely true. Uh, and as I said, lots more to talk about. Um, so we'll definitely have to have you back and as, as we dig deeper on all of these subjects. But but thank you very much for for taking the time to have this discussion. I always, uh, you know, we, we we try and sit down and talk every once in a while. Though it's been a while, thanks yeah. to the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so it's always good to 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 just catch up that way. Uh, and and nice to actually have it recorded for everybody else to listen to. As yeah, well. yeah. Yeah. Always fun talking with you. Thanks. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Take care. To grab a shovel and think of the cat. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get. To grab a shovel.